if you go to Matthew chapter 22, we are in a brand new series today as we kick off the new year called The Greatest. The Greatest. Now, this, is, uh, this was a little tricky in calling this, this series The Greatest because I told the guys as we were naming this thing, man, that's a lot of pressure. This is The Greatest Series. Like, that's a lot of pressure. Uh, maybe not for you, but it is for anybody that's got to preach it. This is going to be the greatest series. Now, I don't know if it's like the greatest series, but it's the greatest series. And we're talking based out of our, our kind of theme verse for this entire series is Matthew chapter 22. And that's where I want to lead you. We're not going to stay there today because I feel like I got to back up and lay some foundation for what we're going to do here. But Matthew chapter 22, if you look in verse 34, if you didn't bring your Bibles, it's all cool. We got electronic Bibles on the screen just for you. And uh, so you can look up on the screen or you got them in your notes. So we got you all covered. But it says this, it says, teacher, which is the most important command in the law of Moses? Now look at verse 37. And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God. Underline that if you, if you have a highlighter or a pen. We like to mark our Bibles up just to bring emphasis. Love God. Love your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And verse 38 says, and this is, now this is, this is where we want to see. This is the first and, what's that word? Greatest. greatest. This is the first and greatest command. So let's pause real quick. The greatest command is what? Love God. Love God, Love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and, uh, and mind and strength. That's the greatest command that we have been given. And then he goes on, though. He doesn't stop there. Verse 39 says, and secondly, is equally important, meaning it's just as great. And this is what he says. Love your neighbor as yourself. You can underline that. Love your neighbor. We love God. Love your neighbor. The entire law and the demand of the prophets are based on these two commands. Just to give you a real quick scenario of what's going on, there were 614 commands in the Bible, 614. It started with 10, and as it built over the hundreds and hundreds of years, it got to 614. And so the Pharisees come up to Jesus and say, hey, which one's the most important? Trying to kind of narrow him down and, and try to really plug him up and, and try to really get him to say something that they could convict him on. And, and he goes, you know what? Here's the deal. Love God. That's the greatest. Love people. That's secondly just as important. So this is kind of the focus for the year for us as we come into 2015 is what if we were a church that loved God and loved people? I know it sounds real simple, but I'll be honest with you. You're going to spend your entire life just trying to do those two. How many of you would say loving God can be challenging at times? And how many know loving people is a lot more? All right. And so we're going to talk over these next four weeks during this fast about what does it look like for us to love God? And then what does it look like for us to love people? And then after that, the greatest commission is for us to go out and begin to do these things. And so that's what we're going to talk about. And here's the deal. You can't love people unless you love God. And you can't love God unless you've been loved by God. And so today we're going to kind of lay down the foundation of really where love comes from. Because I could easily tell you, go love God and go love people. And you'll do that pretty good for maybe a, a, a total of maybe two hours. 
But you know what? The truth is we still have sin and we still wrestle with things and you're just not going to do it too well. Maybe if you're really spiritual, maybe a week or a couple weeks and you'll love people really well. And then eventually you'll just get tired of them. And then it'll be really hard to love people and love God. And so I want to give us some fuel to our fire to help us to be able to do both of these really well. And so I want you to go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 16, and this is the verse that has got to underline, and it's got to be what really fuels our fire to love God and love people. See, God created us to be in a loving relationship. He created Adam and Eve to love them and to be with them and that they would love him and be with him. That's the whole th- how this whole thing started is through a loving relationship, and then sin enters the world, breaks all that up. And now we got this thing that's going on, but if you look in John chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, most probably familiar verse in all of the world, whether you have church history or not, it says this, for God so loved the world, underline so loved, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we just pray right now in this moment, in this time that we have together, that you would illuminate your word. God, that it would speak to us, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us a mind to receive and perceive what you want to say. You give us a heart to receive what you're doing, filled with the love of God today, but God, more than anything, that you would empower our hands and our feet to begin to live out what this is. Because God, we know that just reading the word and hearing the word does not change us. God, it's when we live this thing out that it changes us from the inside out. So we pray that you would do that in us today. And if you believe that with me, would you say amen? Amen. I want to talk, the title of my message today is called So Loved. So Loved. I, uh, I grew up playing sports and I love playing sports. I'm very competitive, uh, and I have a very competitive family. If you come and you play board games at our house, you'll probably leave either crying or rejoicing, um, either mad at us or you'll want to come back. Uh, we're just a competitive family. I was raised in a competitive family. Our family is very competitive. But I grew up in a family that was very extremely loving, um, always showed love in, in many different ways. And, and I had a grandfather that was overly uh, loving and very supportive and, and just one of my biggest cheerleaders. And my, my grandfather has gone on to be with the Lord. He, he died in 95 of a massive heart attack. But the years before that, whenever I was in, in, in sports, I lived in Dallas and he lived in Houston. And so my, my grandfather loved me so much that he would drive all the way four and a half hours to Dallas just to see me play a basketball game. Or to watch me play a football game. I mean, that's how much he loved me. My, my grandfather loved me so much that uh, when I played my first year of real tackle football, okay, and yet again, I am, I am about the, the size of a full 40 pounds at like 13. And I am, man, I am, I'm a beast of a linebacker, you know, you know, I'm just strong. But, uh, my grandfather thought one of the greatest ways to show me how much he loved me was to get a picture of me on his shirt. <laughs> so my grandfather would come to these football games with a picture of the, the, the football pose that I took 
that's what's on the shirt. Like, I love my grandpa and all, but that's pretty embarrassing when you go and you look over and your grandpa's cheering for you. One side, you're like, I'm really excited. My grandpa loves me this much. But there's another part, but that's not my grandpa. But there's no denying that it's your grandpa because your face is on his shirt. He so loved me. And, uh, and, and we grew up in, 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 in just where we were very vocal in our sports playing. And, and, and my dad would be at our games, and, and he would be yelling at me and yelling at the refs. and yell, You know what I mean? Any of y'all like that? You're like, you're coaching the coach? This is what you should be doing. And, and, you know, playing basketball, I was like, I will never, I will never be that to my sons. I'm, I've, I've learned how embarrassing that was for me to have a family that was not only screaming at you, they were cheering you, but also correcting you. Don't let that boy drive by you. And I said I'd never do that until I had a son. <laughs> and three now. And I remember the first couple of years, Josiah played soccer, um, or actually T-ball. Uh, he played soccer as well, but T-ball, um, I was his coach. Bad idea. I love my son, but uh, I, I was that dad. And there, this is at this time, the boys are, uh, Josiah and his team were four. And I'm like doing structured practices. Like, get down. Get down. Let's go. Let's hit. Let's do that. I mean, I'm yelling. You know, I'm doing all that. Hit the ball. Hit the ball. And, you know, I would always say, I'm, I'm not going to be the dad who like runs around the field. I'm running around the field with the kids like run, second base, third base. Fourth, uh, you know, I'm that dad. I'm there. And then J- Judah and Josiah and all of them would start playing soccer. And, you know, I'm the, I'm the dad running down the field with them. Kick the ball! <laughs> then when they kick it, you know, and they score, like take it off my shirt and we're celebrating, high five and all that. No. <laughs> but I love my kids. I so love my kids. And I'm sure you do too, as my grandfather so loved me. And When we look at this verse, it says, for God so loved the world. It didn't just say, for God loved the world. It said that he he so loved the world. There's a difference there. There's there's an emphasis there. and We've got to realize that, that love for God is not something that he has. Love for God is not something that he does. God is love. God doesn't do love. He doesn't have love. He is love. And so it is by his nature that he is loving, that he loves, so loves you, because he cannot deny himself. He is love. Now here's the deal we've got to understand. God doesn't love sin, but he is obsessed with sinners. He is obsessed with them. He loves them so much. And so today's a little bit of a different message because normally we got points and all this stuff. And I got one point. This is it. One. That's a big deal for me. Here it is. You are so loved. That's the point. If there's anything I want you to leave today is I want you to realize that you are so loved. Before we start, over the next couple of weeks, talk about you loving God and you loving people and what that looks like for us to flesh this out, can we just back up and start with you are so loved. You are so loved. You might think this is creepy or not. 
But I, I remember when we had Josiah, our firstborn, and the firstborn is always, you know, it's always funny because as you have more kids, you laugh at people who only have one child. And because you laugh because some of it because you kind of remember what that was like. And then some of it because you were like, I can't believe I was actually like that. And then, but you know, you have your first one and mine was a son. And that's something I've always wanted was a son. And I had Josiah's name picked out before he was even, before I even married Lindsay. I don't know if you know that story. I told Lindsay, will you marry me? And the second thing was, if you're going to marry me, our first son will be named Josiah. This is no lie. And she agreed to it. So I said, okay, well, we can continue. Because <laughs> if she wasn't going to agree, I might have had to have broken the deal. I don't know. I just love the name Josiah. And I had that from way before I even. So anyway, she, she agreed. And then God gracefully actually ended up giving us a son. It would have been bad if it would have been a girl. And I would have like Josina or something. I don't know. But he gave me a boy. So it's Josiah. And I just remember there in, 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 in that delivery room and, and with the son. And, you know, when you're dad and you got your first child, just what floods all over you. Like, one, like, oh, shoot. <laughs> like, I got to take this thing home. And then the second thing is I love. Like, you, you feel what God feels towards you now. Like, you... And it's just a glimpse, but you get a small glimpse of how much the Father loves you because of your love for this. And I would do creepy things like watch him sleep. Any other creepy first-time parents in here? Like, I'd just like, I'd be in his room. Lindsay, Lindsay would be creeping in, and I'd, I'd just be like this. She's like, baby, okay? I'm like, I just, I like watching him sleep, man. He's, he's a cool kid. He's a cool dude. She's like, we got a monitor. I know. I just like, like watching him sleep. I, I just loved being around him. And then you're always like kind of protecting him. You're always with him. And where's he at? And what's going on? And, you know, but we got three now, so I don't even care. Um, but I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. But really, no, I don't really care. Um, <laughs> but let me, uh, the reason I bring that up is because of this. Some of you are in here, and maybe you're not into the Christian thing yet, and you're still kind of trying to play out where you believe with God and kind of what that is. And listen, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Um, This is not a house for everybody who's got it together. You'll find that out in just a little bit. But this is a place where you can have a bunch of questions. But I want to tell you this, and this might sound creepy too, but God's watching you. He's peering over, and he's just... I just love him. I just like him. He just looks good. He looks like me. Because the Bible says we're made in God's image, so all of us have a bit of an identity and look like God. And God is watching you, and he hasn't stopped watching you, and he's almost like a groupie. You know, have you ever seen those groupies that, like, follow one direction all around? They're crazy. And most of them are, like, grown women. But, um, but God's always there. He's always there. He's always watching. He's like a stalker. He's always watching you. That's a good thing, and that can be a little creepy thing at times, but God, is he just love. this is how much, the reason he does that is because he loves you so much. He loves you so much. Love is the main theme of our existence. Love is the whole purpose that the creation was created, was that the creator could love, and the creation could love God. It's the very purpose of why we are, and we are his, the objects of his obsession, and nothing can change that obsession. Now, with that being said, we are so loved. 
I want to share a story with you that I don't know if you've heard or, or read before, but it's in the Old Testament. And I think this will give us a great framework of how much God loves us. So if you want to go there to the book of Hosea, it's actually after the book of Daniel in, in the Old Testament. It's a very different kind of book, but I want to explain to you, this is a powerful story. I think one of the greatest representations of the gospel, 750 years before Jesus shows up on the scene, we meet up with a guy named Hosea. Hosea is a prophet. If you know anything about a prophet, a prophet is someone who, who stands before the people, uh, he communicates with the Lord, and then stands before the people and, and gives words of the Lord to the people, many times in prophetic meaning this is what's to come, this is what's going on. Many times it's warnings or it's encouragements or it's blessings. But Hosea is one of those prophets. He lives in the northern territory of Israel, and, and many prophets have peculiar assignments. And a lot of times when you read in the Old Testament, these, these prophets that had these peculiar assignments, not only were they to declare what these assignments were, most of the time they actually had to live out their prophecies. So what they were prophesying over people and the assignments that God were giving them were not just things that they were declaring, but it was actually things that were living. And God gives Hosea one of the strangest, most awkward assignments that any prophet has ever gotten. And here's the assignment. So he's spending time with the Lord one day. God, what do you want to say? God says, Hosea, I have something for you to do. God, what do you want? I want you to marry a prostitute. Come again. I want you to marry a prostitute. Can you repeat that one more time? I want you to marry a prostitute, and I want you to have children with her. Okay, all right. Hosea, being the man of God that he was, obeyed. And he went and found a prostitute, and her name is Gomer. Poor name, poor choice of names, I don't know. But Gomer, not Piles, but Gomer. She must have not have been loved. I mean, that's, maybe that's probably what happened. But the opening chapter of Hosea, chapter 1 and chapter 2, looks really good. They... they uh, Israel is in a very prosperous season, and uh, Hosea and Gomer have children, and all is going good until one day. One day, Hosea wakes up from sleep, and he gets up and can't find his wife. He goes and he gets up and he looks in the bathroom, Gomer's not there. Looks in the kitchen, Gomer's not there. Looks outside, Gomer's not there. Gomer has left. She has borne him three children and bolted. She's gone out the door. She's gone back to the lifestyle of what he had saved her from. She was a prostitute and he married her. And now she has left the family. And here we are. The man of God is a single dad. He's raising three kids by himself. Can you first off just imagine, one, what it was like for Hosea to have to marry a prostitute and happen to explain that to people? And then secondly, you, you have a good marriage, you have three kids, and then your wife splits on you, and now Hosea, having to be the amazing man of God that he is, now also explain to everybody 
that his wife's left. So Hosea is, is wrestling through with this, and we catch up with him in Hosea chapter 3 in verse 1. If you're in Hosea, you can, you can go there. But in Hosea chapter 3 in verse 1, it says this. It says, so Hosea goes to the Lord. Now, we don't know how much time has passed between when she's left and, and what this conversation is with the Lord. Could have been a day, could have been a couple of weeks, could have been a couple of months, years, I don't know. But at some point, Hosea has a, has a conversation with the Lord. And I want you to see what the Lord tells him. Now watch this. And it says, and the Lord said to me, this is Hosea speaking, go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. See, here's the deal. In the Israel's time and day, Israel was in a very prosperous season. And they believed three kind of philosophies about love. Their, their idea about love was, was very mixed up. They believed that love could be purchased. You could buy love. They believed that love could be something of self-gratification, just gratifying your own selfish desires. Or they also believed that love could be discovered in 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 inanimate objects and things. You could, you could get love from stuff. So they believe that you could buy love. You could have love by gratifying your own sexual and fleshly desires, or you could have love in, or in, in an ornate, or, ornate inanimate. inanimate objects and things, cars, houses, money, stuff. You could find love in there. Let me ask you this. Does that sound eerily similar to the day and age that we live in? People think that they can buy love, that we get love from self-gratification. I'm just going to go and gratify my own self. Hey, it's my life and do what I want to do. YOLO. You know? Right? So, and I believe that love is something that I can just gratify myself. Or three, that we, we find love in the things that we buy. And the cars that we have, and the houses that we have, and the money that we have, and the material things that we have, and that somehow that brings us love. But we find out in everything, and as we all know, that that really doesn't bring love at all, and there's really no true love in all of that. That's not really love. And so this is what God does. And in, in Hosea chapter 3, God says, okay, it's enough. Here's the deal. I'm going to demonstrate what real love looks like. Let me demonstrate what real love really is. One of the scholars believes that, that uh, parallel to the, the death, the, the, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus, that being the greatest love story ever, that Hosea and Gomer's story is probably just as equally up there. There's no greater representation of the gospel than the resurrection, the cross and resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and then also this story right here. There's no greater story in all of the Bible that's going to share and show us the love of Jesus like the story of Gomer and Hosea. And Hosea gets a command from the Lord that you're going to go and you're going to love this woman again. And guess what? She's sleeping around with another man right now, but you're going to go love this woman again. So I want you to imagine what that was like. Here's the question. Where do you go find a prostitute? 
I mean, we're talking about a holy man. We're talking about a man of God. Men of God don't go in the red light district. Men of God don't go on the four corners. Men of God don't go in some of those kind of shops. Men of God don't go in some of those kind of bars. Can you imagine what it was like for Hosea to have to go and begin to travel around the city and begin to ask different people, hey, um, have you seen Gomer? No, we haven't, we haven't seen her. We haven't seen her. Hey, have you seen Gomer? Can you imagine him asking some men, hey, um, you see my wife? What's your wife's name? Gomer. Oh, dude, so, man, listen, uh, man, I didn't know she was married, man. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't, man, I, my bad. I, I, listen, I, it was just once, and, you know, it was, no, dude, it's, it's all right, it's all right. I just, just trying to find my wife. You know where she is? Dude, I, I hadn't seen her in weeks. And imagine, just imagine this being played out, that he walks into a place, and I want you to, I want to catch up with, with where we find her. Look, at, look with me in, in verse 2. She is in sex slavery. That's where we're going to find her. She is on the auction block. And she is being bargained and auctioned off to the highest bidder. Hosea walks into this place or wherever it is. And can you imagine he walks in and he sees his wife standing on an auction block going for the highest bid? And can you imagine what one went in his own heart And then two, can you imagine her when she saw him? Probably couldn't couldn't look at him. I I don't know. I don't know what the shame that was there that was felt. But I want you to see what happens. Hosea chapter three verse two says, "So I bought her. So I bought her for fifteen shekels of silver and a homer, and five bushels of barley." Now, I want you to notice this. He would pay whatever price to get here, but the, but the thing that we've got to realize is she's already his. She's already his. That's his wife. And he buys her again. Uh, I got the highest bid right here, man. I got her. I got her. Can you imagine? Maybe there was a bid going off. I don't know. Maybe there's other guys wanting her too. He bid the highest, and he bought her again because he, she was already his, but yet he bought her again, which may I remind you, whether you serve God or not, you are already God's. All of you in here, whether you follow him or not, whether you love him or not, he loves you, he so loves you, and you're his. The Bible says this, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness of And yet God sends his son. Notice this. We are God's already. And yet God sends his son to spill his divine blood on a torture tool to purchase you again. Humanity is the possession of its creator. We're already his. And I love this picture because in the next verse, after he purchases her, 
You got to imagine what that conversation was like. Woman, I, I got you out of this already, and now you're back in it, and what's going on? And listen, you're going to come, and you're going to cook, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do that, and you're going to, you know, he's just got this list of things, but that's not Hosea. Look what Hosea does. Hosea chapter 3, verse 3, it says this. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. And so will I also be to you, meaning you're mine and I'm yours. You know what he just did? He renewed his vows. That's what he did. I do and you do. And I'm in this back again with you. And the Spirit of God comes on Hosea in this next verse, and literally he begins to prophesy. Because remember, this is a picture of not only Hosea and Gomer, it's a picture of of God and Israel. Remember, he told Hosea, you're going to go and find this woman and love her again because I, God, love Israel too. And Israel had fallen way far from the Lord. And we've talked about Israel coming out of how God's rescued them. Israel was God's people. He chose them. He loved them. And so the, the Old Testament is God constantly pursuing his people because he loves them. He so loves them so much. And this is a verse here where we see he renews his vows yet again. But now Hosea has got the Spirit of God that begins to speak prophetically over what's to come one day over the children of Israel. Now stay with me here. Verse 4 says this, For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or with household gods. Afterwards, the children of Israel, now watch this, they shall return and seek the Lord their God, and David their king, and they shall come in in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. This is what he's speaking of. He's speaking of the day that one day Jesus would come. Now, notice, David's already gone. This isn't, they're, they're they're not going to go back to King David. David is a messianic symbol of Jesus, that one day the people will turn back to God. They will seek him, and they will worship Jesus, and they will come in the fear of the Lord because of his goodness. This is the day he begins to prophesy as he speaks to, to Gomer, that one day, the child, just like you've come home, and I've bought you at the price, one day the children of Israel will come back to me, and they will serve the true God. That's what they will do. They will love God. And these are the days that Hosea was in, but it's not the days that he didn't see this in his time frame. It wasn't happening in front of him, but it's one that he prophesied that would happen, that people would be so in awe of the goodness and love of God that they would be drawn back to God. Romans says it like this, it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. It is the goodness of God that leads you and I to repentance. Now you walk in here and you may feel shame and guilt. You may, you don't know what I've been walking through. You don't know what I've been going through. You don't know what I've done. I don't, but God does. And what I do know is that he still so loves you and he still consistently pursues you and he still wants a relationship with you. And let me prove it to you. If you go to Matthew, Matthew chapter nine, I wanna show you something. See, when we sin, religion tells us that we run from God. 
But Romans says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. So when we understand the gospel, when we understand that the Bible is not about man loving God, but it's about God loving man, when we blow it, we don't run from God, we run to him. We come to him because we realize it's not the wrath of God no longer on our lives, but it's the goodness and kindness of God that wants the best for us. And so we run to him with all of our brokenness and say, God, this is me. And he says, I love you. I want you. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is now a picture of that. So let me ask you this real quick. Who is Hosea? He's Jesus. He's God. Let me ask you this. Who's Gomer? Who's the prostitute? I am. You are. Listen to this. The name Hosea means salvation. The name Hosea means salvation. Do you know what the name Gomer means? It means completion. See, you and I become complete when we have our Hosea. Hosea completes us. Jesus is my Hosea. He's your Hosea. Matthew 9, verse 11, Jesus is now on the scene, and it says, and when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, now this is what's happened. Let me just, real quick, I, I want to catch you up to what's happened. Jesus has now befriended Matthew the tax collector. Tax collectors, they were, they were synonymous with sinners and prostitutes. Those are the type of people that tax collectors hung out with because everybody hated them. And so Jesus goes up to Matthew and says, hey, you're on my team. And Matthew's like, say what again? He's like, you're on my team. And he's like, like, what team are we talking about? Like, my team. You mean like with all those other guys? Yeah, you're on my team. And he's like, okay. He's like, you're going to follow me. So he puts it aside, and the Bible says that Ma- Jesus tells Matthew, hey, let's go throw a party. You got any friends? And Matthew's like, I don't know if you want to hang out with these friends. And he's like, no, listen, you got some friends? He's like, ah, they're, they're a little shady, but that's okay. He's like, let's, let's, let's party it up. Let's have a party at your house. Okay, okay. Let's, let's do it. So he throws this party. And Jesus loves to party. Okay? And, and so if you didn't know that, he does. He loves to party. Heaven's going to be a big party. I'm so excited. Okay, anyways, you, you don't look excited. You Party pooper. Um, it's going to be a big party, I'm just telling you. So Jesus goes to this house and they have a party. And the religious people, the Pharisees, walk, walk by and they hear, I don't know what's going on. Okay, it's probably not that, but if it was my party, that's what would be happening. And the Pharisees are like, what's all this racket? What's going on? And they peer into the window and they see Jesus hanging out with all of these prostitutes, tax collectors, and sinners. And they're like, what the heck is going on? And so we catch up with them here. And it says, when the far- Far- Pharisees, yes, that's what they are. Pharisees. That's what they are. That's my word for the day. Pharisees. They are old farts. Um, <laughs> you will never see Pharisee any other way from now on. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, now watch this, they said to his disciples, okay, so the disciples are on the outside. They're not even, the disciples are like, I don't even, I'm not even going in there. 
And Jesus is like, well, I'm going in. So Jesus goes in. The disciples are on the outside. And so the Pharisees are like, hey, guys, what are y'all doing on the, well, what's, up, what's up with Jesus? And they say, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But here's the deal. I love this about Jesus. He hears everything. I mean, he's up in there partying. He's like, wait, what did they say? Opens up the door. Come again. And so he says this, says when he heard it, he says to the, to the Pharisees, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. Go and learn what this means. Now, here's the key. Now, here's, here's the connections, okay? Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Do you know where that is found? In Hosea. That's where it's found. Jesus reminds the Pharisees about Hosea. Now, here's the deal. See, the Pharisees didn't have the New Testament Bible. They only had the Old Testament. So what that meant is all of the Pharisees knew about the story of Hosea and Gomer. And so what is Jesus doing? Jesus is walking outside going, hey, you remember the story of Hosea and Gomer? Here's the picture of it. And all of a sudden, they knew exactly what that meant. That story came back to them. It's like childhood stories that we replay and we just know. This was a story that came back to them of Hosea loving a prostitute, marrying a prostitute, buying her again. And Jesus is showing up and saying, this is a picture of that. For, and then look what he says. For I came. This is why Jesus came on the earth. I came not to call the righteous. I came to call the sinners. And he's talking to these Jews about this. What is he saying? I am Hosea. That's who I am. I am Hosea. See, because God categorizes lost humanity in one of two categories. We're either sinners or we're self-righteous. We're either sick or we're well. And well people Jesus doesn't hang with, and self-righteous people Jesus doesn't hang with, but sick and sinners Jesus loves hanging with. And here's the, here's the encouragement for you. If you're sick or if you're sinning, Jesus is your best friend. He loves you. Now here's the deal. God doesn't want you to stay sick. He wants you to get healthy and whole, but he loves hanging out with sinners. It would be like a doctor saying, I don't want sick people in my office. That's retarded. It's the whole reason his business exists. And it is the whole reason this church exists. Because sick people come into this place and may we never, never get surprised that there's people in here that don't love Jesus. Or people in here that smoke or people in here that do whatever stuff. And you're like, oh my God, how dare they? You're at a hospital, there's sick people. And if you're not on, if you think you're well, you're really sick. <laughs> and the truth is, if you think you're well, you're going to get God's stiff arm. But if you understand and humble enough to say, God, I'm sick too, I got sin too, then Jesus comes and he meets with you. And he's gracious to both. He gives grace on both sides. But the church is often a place where we come with all of our problems, but then we pretend like we don't have any. And doctors don't stay in business with healthy people. You know, it's sad when you, you see someone who has all of the access to the physicians, 
but they're in denial that they actually have a disease. And I think a lot of people in church are like that. They have all the access to great people and to a great God, but they deny the fact that they're actually sick. And you miss out. You miss out. See, when you realize you're a gomer, it dawns on you that there's other gomers. See, this love I'm talking about, it's messy. It's messy. I want to end with this, and then I want us to respond. 1 John 4, verse 10, 11. If you have your Bibles, would you just turn there? This is the one I will have you turn to. And if you actually got a real Bible, turn to it. I would like you to turn there. But 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, and I want us to end here as we prepare our hearts for what God's going to do in these next 21 days as we seek the Lord together, set aside time to seek Him. This is the one verse that I want to continually to play in your mind over these next 21 days. 1 John 4, 10 and 11 says this, In this is love. Not that we've loved God but that he's loved us. If there's anything to underline, you need to underline that. Not that you've loved God, but that he's loved us. And he loved us so much, according to John chapter 3, verse 16, that God so loved that his natural propensity was not to just sit back and wait for his people to get their act together. But his, his, his propensity was, I've got to do something. I love these people too much to let them just sit in their misery and their sickness. I've got to go. And so he sends his son to be the propitiation. Means, meaning that he paid for you again. That's what that means. He's the propitiation for our sins. Now this next word. Beloved. You know what that also means? So loved. So loved. And this is what he's speaking to each one of you individually today. So loved. If God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, when you realize that you're a gomer, and how much your Hosea has loved you and accepted you and forgiven you and restored you. Something wells up on the inside of you that says, I can't keep this to myself. I've been so loved that now I have to love others. Now I want to love God. Next week, we'll talk about loving God. But not out of duty. Not out of obligation. But out of the fact that you've been so loved. There's no other response we could have than to be loving back in return, to reciprocate this love back to him. You have been my Hosea. You've saved and redeemed me and forgiven me and accepted me and cleansed me and healed me. And so therefore, out of the abundance of all that, I love God and I love people because I've been so loved. 
And there's some of you that can't love God and you can't love people. And can I tell you why? Because you haven't accepted the soul love from God. Because when you accept God's soul love, then you can so love. But it's got to start there. It's got to start there. See, religion is spelled D-O. And most of you have been raised in a church where it was all about what you do, and you find your value and your worth in what you do. But can I tell you right now, the gospel is not D-O. It's D-O-N-E. Done. And now you don't have to do anything. God's done it all. But because he's done it all, I now want to do something. Are y'all with me? So you did not love God. Let's get that straight. God loved you first. He loved you first. And I'm just warning you right now that if you would allow this to sink deep in your heart, this gospel message, the good news, it will wreck you. It will wreck you. You can't look at people the same. You can't look at your marriage the same. You can't look at your kids the same. You can't look at your job the same. Because you realize I'm a gomer, and he's a gomer, and she's a gomer. And just as much as I have my Hosea, he needs Hosea, and she needs Hosea, and he needs Hosea, and he needs Hosea. Y'all with me? So that's my prayer today. My prayer today is for those that walked in here today and you don't know Hosea, that he would be your Hosea. And for those of you that do know Hosea, that hopefully you realize that you've been so loved that God now has not called you to be still, but now for you to begin to love, 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 love God, love one another.